Good morning. Again, my name is Jordan. I am an assistant pastor here at Christ Covenant Church, and it is with uh, great joy um, that I come to share the God's Word with you this morning. Uh, from the 14th chap chapter of John is where we are going to look today in God's Word, and I wanted to give you a little bit of context before we started reading through uh, this episode of Scripture. And we see that the disciples and Jesus are together and they're having a conversation. And this is immediately after Jesus had already told, Jude, or told the group that somebody was going to betray them. We knew that that would end up being Judas. And had said that somebody's going to deny him. We knew that that would end up being Peter. So, and after much discussion about Jesus going to leave them soon, the disciples were freaking out a little bit. You know, Jesus had told them a lot of troubling things recently, and so the disciples were troubled. They were together with Jesus, and they weren't happy. They weren't joyous. This wasn't a time where they were rejoicing over a miracle. This was a time of despair. The Lord had told them about their defeat that was going to happen. The Lord had told them that he was going to be leaving, and so the, so the disciples are troubled. And so I want you to understand that context before we read this portion of scripture. We're going to read 27 verses, so it's a little bit lengthy, but understand the context that the disciples are troubled because Jesus has told them about their deep failures that are even that are approaching, failures they haven't even committed yet, and the fact that he was leaving them soon. So understand the depression that the disciples were facing as we enter God's word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 14. We're going to read again verse 1 through 27. This is God's holy and active word. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and, play, and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, and where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can you say we know the way? And Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now, on, you do know him and have seen me. And then Philip said to Jesus, Lord, just show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus continues, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who's this helper? Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments will keep, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, most often known as Jude, says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Grass withers, flowers fade. But this, the Lord's word, endures forever. Today's my son's fourth birthday. I can't believe I've been a father for four years. It's humbling, to say the least. Uh, My son is allergic to a lot of things, if you know him. Uh, He's just a walking allergy. And uh, what he's most allergic to is just environmental stuff. So oak trees, pollen, stuff like that. And of course, we moved to Cooper City, which is the city of trees, and oak is everywhere. So he's constantly uh, sneezing and has a runny nose. And he also often has nosebleeds. And they, they most often, for whatever reason, come in the middle of the night. So the poor guy, right, wakes up and he's freaked out. As he wakes up in his own bed, he feels like his nose is running, so he wipes his nose, and then he sees blood. Right? He just turned four today, so he's a little guy. And he comes into our room, and it looks like a scene out of The Exorcist, and he's just covered in blood. And he's like, ah! And he's so scared. And my heart breaks for it. It happens at least twice a week. And every time, my heart breaks for him. And either my wife or I get up, and we have to clean him up, and he's crying, and he's scared. And, we, and I have to hold him. And he doesn't just like go back to sleep right away once he's clean. He's, so, he's still scared. And so I have to hold him. I have to rub his head. I have to give him kisses. And I have to tell him that his nose has stopped bleeding and it's not going to start again. Because he's scared that it's just going to keep bleeding and he's not going to be able to sleep. So I have to tell him, son, it's all done. Relax. We can go to sleep now. It's okay. Daddy has you. Now, understanding that compassion of a father and a son and that sort of relationship where the son is scared, doesn't know what's going to happen next, 
And the father saying, son, I got you. I know you're scared right now, but I'm holding you. I'll wipe away your blood. This is a temporary problem because in a few minutes, it's all going to be okay. I want you to understand that that's what's happening here with Jesus and his disciples. His no, their noses are bleeding. They're tired and scared. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. I think it's so important that we understand that context before we talk about anything else. The disciples were troubled. They were scared. They were unsure. They were confused. And Jesus knows this. And he most intentionally, as everything he does is intentional, provokes this conversation with his brothers, with his friends. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he explains why they shouldn't be troubled. He reminds them that he is God. He says that I am God, I am the Father. And his next work was to leave the earth, but it was for a purpose, and the purpose was for them. Jesus says, the reason I'm leaving is to go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to set you up a home. And of course, this only added to their troubled hearts. It's like, oh, okay, cool, Jesus. I'm glad you're going to prepare a room for me. No, it's like, no, don't leave. Don't leave. So this added to their troubled hearts. So they had heard Jesus say this before, that he's only going to be with them for a little while. And it scared them. They had been with him for three years, right? If you look at the disciples' lives, many of them had left their families. They had left their jobs. They had left all the securities that we build up in our own lives to follow him. Jesus said, follow me. And they said, but, but wait, I have this job. I have this situation. He says, follow me. And so these men had spent their lives, three years of their lives, following him. And now he's like, I got to go. And so we're, are we understanding the deep fear that these men had? And so you could hear it in Thomas's question after Jesus is explaining, where are you going, Lord? And he says, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. You, you keep saying, if you knew me, you knew where I was going. You're saying you're going to prepare a place for us, but we don't understand what you're saying. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We don't understand where you are going. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can you say we even know the way that you were going? And Jesus says, you do, Thomas. You know where I'm going. I'm going to a place to prepare a room for you. This is a fear that when you read about it, it's like, oh, you know, this is just an old, ancient disciple type of fear. He was with, they were with Jesus, so they can understand why they were scared. But isn't this kind of a fear that we're acquainted with? A fear of not knowing what's happening next? If, I, if I'm completely honest with you, which you guys know I am, sometimes too much, but one of my biggest fears is tomorrow, the future. Especially as a father now. I mean, when you're just taking care of yourself, it's not as big of a deal. When you're taking care of somebody else, it becomes a big deal. I don't know if you're like me, but is anybody else scared of the future? Like, what happens if you lose your job? What happens if the person you love the most is not there anymore for some reason, whether it's tragic or whatever? Like, like what happens if all of a sudden you don't have any money or a home and you find yourself homeless or lost? Like, what happens? Again, 
This is the fear of the disciples, and I want you to understand that this is also our fear now. They don't know what's going to happen next, and they feel like they're lost and they're homeless because the only thing that they've been depending on for three years is saying, I'm gone. Where are you going, Lord? And I want you to be able to relate to that. And I feel like we have this fear as a result of sin. And I'm going to argue that the reason that you have that fear of, I'll I'll say it for myself, not really trusting the Lord all the time, as the disciples aren't here, and as I do all the time, the reason that you have that fear of of mistrust and, and, and anxiety of the future is because of sin. And I would argue that because of sin, all the results of sin fall into three main categories. Number one, I believe that the result of sin has given us a separation from God. Everybody who's ever been born in the world has been born into the world separated from God. As a result from original sin, right, Adam and Eve, everybody who's born is born into sin. And so there's been a separation from God. There's been a wedge between the holy God and the sinful human. And this has left us, because you have that wedge between a separation from God, with a identity crisis. Because you, don't, because you feel separated from the creator, you don't really know who you are as a creation. And so you spend every day trying to figure out who you are. Because you've been separated from God. Because sin separates you from God. You have an identity crisis. And so you spend all day trying to figure out, I want to be this person. I'm going to be a successful businessman. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to be a whatever, you know, you name what you're trying to be. And because of sin, we have that desire in us always to figure out who we are apart from God. And so sin has created that separation which has given us an identity crisis. Number two, sin has given you a blindness to truth. You and me, we lie constantly. And I'm not calling you a liar saying that you are a liar to your friends and family, but at least to yourself you lie constantly. We are constantly suppressing the truth of who God is and who we are, right? We justify our own sinful actions. That's a lie. We tell God that he isn't uh, correct in all that he's given us to obey, right? Every time that you are acting within your own fruition and disobeying God, you're, you're calling God a liar because you're saying your plan for me is, is not what I want to do right now. It's really not the best way. My way is the best way. So you're suppressing truth, right? Result of sin number two. Result of sin number three, death. That one's easy. I don't have to explain that. Sin brought death. You know death. We all know somebody who has died. And it's probably the most painful process that you will face in life is knowing death. Not just physically, and yeah, it could be physically, but just living life. Emotionally, when you lose somebody, it it hurts. Separation from God, the suppression of truth, and death. 
All of sin can fall into those three categories. And Jesus is going to address that for us today. And he doesn't really make it too puzzling. Again, separation from God, suppression of truth, knowledge of death. So what does Jesus say? I am the way, I am the truth, He doesn't give us some kind of secret puzzle to figure it out here. He says, I know everything you're dealing with, guys. So I am the way back to God. The Father and I are one. All the lies that the world are telling you and all the lies that you are are experiencing in your life and all the truth that you are suppressing, I am the truth. You You can find your way, you can find that truth in me. And death, I know you hate death. Death you, Jesus says, you know, I hate death. When Lazarus died, I bawled my eyes out. You guys know that death is a problem. But I'm the life. Jesus says, you do know where I'm going, Thomas. I'm going to p- prepare this place for you. So then Jesus continues, and he talks about his relationship with the Father, right? And the Trinity can be a little bit confusing at times. If you're a young believer, that word Trinity is probably something you may have heard of before. But when you hear that word, no, that's not a word that we grabbed from the Bible, but it's a a word that's been created through the study of who God is. And it's the best way we can describe God as this triune being. Because the Word of God tells us that there is God the Father, God the Son, And God the Holy Spirit. In much of this text, Jesus is speaking of this triune relationship that he has. And so I think it's important for us to understand it. Because it's easy for us to have this idea of God the Father, right? You guys, when you guys think of God, you can think it's easy for us to think of God the Father, right? Like this mighty creator. And cartoons and in movies, he's like has a beard and he's in a white robe and which I don't think is that blasphemous, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, somebody, it's an image of somebody you would respect. It's an image of somebody who's mighty in power. And so the Word of God teaches us that God the Father not, is not an old man, but he's, he's the almighty creating spirit. And then so God the Father begot the, the Son. Now, we have no problem singing that, saying that, but what does that mean? Begotten. The only begotten Son. What does that mean? I think it's something that we should learn, right? <laughs> because we say it all the time. Does that mean that, that God created the Son? These, these are hard questions, right? Well, begotten means to, to, to create, but to create something equal in power. That's what begotten means, to create something exactly like the first. So begotten means that, that God, within his perfect relationship within himself, said, part of me is going to become a son. Part of me is going to become a redeemer. Part of me is going to become the one who executes my will and my plan. So the father begots a son. Within himself, begots the son. Right? So now we know father begots the son. And now the son. Pretty easy for us to imagine, right? Because he actually was a physical person, is a physical person. And so we know who he is. Who's the son? Jesus. Yeah. 
God sends the son, the son becomes a baby, the baby becomes an adult, the adult becomes the savior of the world. Plan from all of eternity, Jesus. No problem picturing Jesus, right? Because we know that he was this man from Nazareth, so if, you, if I said close your eyes and picture Jesus, you could picture the Lamb of God. And this would take weeks to talk about, but I believe he's still, right now, a physical person in a physical place praying for us now. And so easy for us to talk about God the Father, God the Son, but here's the problem. The Holy Spirit. If I asked you to tell me a little bit about the Holy Spirit, I think that conversation probably wouldn't last that long. I don't think we know a lot about the Holy Spirit. But it's apparent that Jesus thinks the Holy Spirit's pretty important. Because that's who he goes to in the time when his disciples are most scared. So if we look at the text, Jesus says, I am going to, both me and the Father, are going to give you another helper. Those are the words there, another helper. And in the Greek language, there are two words for another. There is heteros and alos. Now, heteros means something totally different. Like, literally, that means something totally different, hetero. So, if he said, I was giving you something totally different, a different helper. But that's not the word that you use here. The word that you use here is alos. And alos means something exactly the same, or just like the one before. Think of it this way. So if I said to you, you had some coins, and I said, can you give me a penny? And you gave me a penny. And I said, give me another one. What would you give me? Another penny. Amber alert. Lightning? Lightning. Lord, please don't take out the sound system. <laughs> Manny's praying. So if I said, give me an another coin, you could give me a dime, right? So you see how the word another can be different. The word used here is somebody exactly the same. So Jesus said, guys, I'm saying don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to send you somebody exactly like me in the way that you can be comforted. And he is going to be your helper, another helper. Alos, exactly the same. So who is this helper? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, the word used here in the Greek, you've probably heard this before, is parakletos. Parakletos. It's a combination, Holy Spirit, it's a combination of two words, parakletos. Para, meaning alongside, right next to you, right? And kletos, meaning counselor. And Kletos is actually used often as described as a, like a lawyer. But I'm hesitant to use that, and I, I apologize if there's lawyers in here, but that's kind of become a bad word in our society. <laughs> but if you could think of it as, a, as, as somebody who would come to your defense no matter what. Somebody who has your back no matter what. Somebody who will who argue for you in front of somebody who's trying to tear you down. That's the word. Your, your ally, your bro, your squad, your person, that no matter what, ride or die, they got your back. That's the word, counselor. It's not just lawyer. It's somebody who is deeply passionate about your defense. Parakletos, 
right alongside of you. This is important because we often don't think of the Holy Spirit this way. Right? I know I often think of Holy, the Holy Spirit as some kind of mystical cloud and that when I want to use him, like a video game, it's like power boost, Holy Spirit, boom. Now, now I can please the Lord. I'm being honest. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as somebody we can use when we want to. It's this mystical cloud that will come in certain situations when we need him or we want him and that we can have our way with him. But the way that Jesus is describing the relationship that the God and the Father are going to send the Spirit, somebody exactly like them, which would mean equal, a divine person to be with you alongside of you is not a power-up cloud, but an actual divine person. My Spirit. And I want you to think right now, do you feel... There is a divine person alongside of you right now. Because if we begin to think of God that way, as we live our lives, it changes the way you do everything. Alongside of. That Jesus didn't just leave his disciples and just leave you, because we know we often say exactly what Philip said. Lord, if you could just like show me like physically who you are, then I'd follow you. Right? Like, I know you tell me that I'm supposed to not do this and tell me not to do that, but that's just what your Bible says. If you could physically tell me that, or like show me a sign, like write it in the mirror in the morning so I know it was actually you, like then, I'd, then I would follow you. But Jesus says, that's not the way I operate. I'm, I'm going to send you something better, not a sign. I'm going to send you me. I'm going to send you my spirit, somebody who's exactly like me, to be alongside of you now. Do you think Can you imagine God alongside of you? Because that's what Jesus says. That is who's with you now. Jesus isn't with us right now, is he? No, I'm going to send you another like me, my Holy Spirit. Real quick, many smart men have put together definitions of who God is in this triune unity. I can just read. It will give you a better understanding than me trying to explain it. So let's just go over this real quick. This is from the Westminster, Westminster Confession of Faith. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons. One substance, one power of all eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none. He's not begotten, not proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And the Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and from the Son. And how many persons are there in this Godhead? Again, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one, true, eternal God, same in substance. So if you believe, real quick, that Jesus is the powerful Redeemer of the world, the Holy Spirit has that substance in him. That's who's alongside of you, continuing. They're one eternal God, same substance, equal in power, equal in glory, although distinguished in their personal properties. Jesus is the Savior. The Father is the one who is, who is executing these plans. And, and, the, and the Helper is the one who is implying these truths to your lives right now and showing you the glory of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, making your eyes and your heart aware of who God is. 
What are the personal properties of this Godhead? It is proper to the Father to beget the Son, and to the Son to be begotten of the Father, and to the Holy Spirit to proceed from the Father and the Son from all of eternity. And how do these appear that the Son and the Holy Spirit are, are God, equal with the Father? The Scriptures manifest that the Son and the Holy Spirit are God, equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship are as proper to our God. I mean, how many times, different ways we can read it, the Holy Spirit is a divine nature of God. He is not a power booster or a mystical power for you to say, Lord, by your Spirit may I be able to do this. Yes, we should be praying that constantly, but it is a power that you're praying for that is here. It's not a hopeful request. God's three distinct persons are how God deals with us. There's both a unity to God and a plurality of who God is. And I know this is hard for us to understand, but it's important to know that this is how God is loving us. Kevin DeYoung, he's a theologian, he says of the Trinity pretty simply, God is one, there is one God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. <laughs> I mean, he puts it just like, Seven sentences. But you know what's beautiful about that? While confusing, I'll admit it. It's difficult for us to understand how this triune God has this eternal relationship that operates together. I know that's confusing, but you know what's really awesome about it? Is that our God in his nature is a relationship. So he's not just one one God with one person who doesn't know what it's like to be in a relationship. So think of God in a way where he has a holy relationship. And what is the, what is the number one thing you need in a relationship for it to be deep and flourishing? Love. So when God says, I am love, he literally means that because I have been a relationship from all of eternity, I invented love. It happened because I am in a triune relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are a relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are love. Love, this means love is eternal. This means that maybe relationships should be a focal point of our lives because this is who our God is. Just something to consider. God didn't create to have a loving relationship because he already was one. That's not why he made you. Because he needed somebody to love. He already was love. He didn't create so when the scriptures say God is love, you have a better understanding of, that, understanding of that. His function, the Holy Spirit's function, is to now work within you. He will work in and through you. Now what does that mean? Do you believe that God has the divine power to intercede for you now? Are you praying that he's just a power boost? Or can we pray that we have the faith to believe that he is an active, holy person alongside of us? 
Jesus says, in probably my, two, my favorite sentence in this passage at least, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he promises the Spirit, but that's still, you know, it's still, Jesus, you're leaving. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And God uses orphans to describe us often in Scripture. And it's because it's appropriate. Because we know what an orphan is, somebody who has been left alone, who has been abandoned out of some sort of result of sin. You're an orphan. I'm an orphan apart from the adoption of God. And he says, I'm not going to leave you like, like you are. I'm not going to leave you there, guys. Don't let your heart be troubled. You think I'm just going to dip out and not come get you? No, the reason I'm going is to, to make a house for you, to put up a picture of you in a house, to make a place custom for you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're mine. I'm going to come, I'm gonna come get you. And I think we need to remind ourselves that this is God because I know I often feel like I am alone in a corner in the dark by myself, sinful and disgusting. And I need the Holy Spirit to speak these words in my ear to say, I'm not going to leave you here. I'm here to remind you that Jesus is making a place for you. I'm going to get you. Jesus says, in that day, you will know that I am the Father. When I do come and get you, you will know that I am the Father. That I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it will be he. He it is who loves me. Jesus has given us this promise of the certain knowledge and the fullness of God. Jesus ends this text by saying, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to be the one who's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. Peace be with you guys. You see, the words that Jesus is talking to his friends are the words Jesus wants to speak to you right now. You're an orphan. I'm an orphan. I feel like an orphan, at least. I feel afflicted, I feel sick, I feel lost, I feel alone. But just like my son in the middle of the night with blood all over his face, Jesus says, oh, come here. Son, daughter, I know you're scared right now. But this is just, this is only going to last for a little bit longer. Let me wipe that blood from your face. Let me wipe those tears. Don't you know that you're mine? Don't you know that even though you're so scared right now, I am rocking you in my arms because you're mine. And it's only going to be a momentary affliction for you, son. Because when you wake up, you're going to be joyous because we're going to be together. This is the relationship that through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, you can have with the Father. He knows you so well. Do you know that? I know my son so well. Do you know that he knows you so well that that thing that's in your heart, that if somebody found out about you, that your life would be over? Do you know that he knows that, what that thing is, and that he loves you exactly as if it were never there? The same way? 
Do you know that that is the thing that he actually went to the cross for? Do you know that he has called you here, not by any chance or any by coincidence, but that the people that are in this room right now were brought into this building through God's plan by the Holy Spirit to hear the words of Jesus? As a creation, we're searching. Christian or not, everybody's searching because we're all creation. And here we have it right in front of us. What are you searching for? A way back to God? What are you searching for? Truth? Everybody's searching for truth. What are you searching for? Victory over death? I am the way and the truth and the life. And many of you, like me, are saying, help me, God, believe that. Help. Help. Jesus has sent us this helper. And so today we have the opportunity to dine with our God, with the Holy Spirit present with us. This table, the Lord's Supper, is an opportunity for us to experience God's grace. You guys know me very well. You know I'm weak. If you've ever heard me preach once before, you know that I am pretty upfront about my weakness. I don't think there's any point in pretending. You know my struggles, and and I want to be completely honest with you. I don't feel worthy to be here. I never do. The week that I spend preparing, I feel unworthy. Every, Every part of me wants to say, like, I can't do this. Every part of me wants to listen to this little voice in my head that says, you're not good enough. You think Jesus really sent you his spirit to be with you now? No, he didn't. You don't know who you are, Jordan. And those are the lies that the world wants to tell you. And it's because of my helper that I can stand here today. It's because of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to suppress those truths and be reminded through the ministry of him that I am worth it because once was orphaned, now been adopted because of the Father's love for me. I'm not an orphan. I'm not an orphan. I am a son of God. And with that, I have a house and my brother is preparing a place for me. That's who we are in Christ. And Christ has promised us in this text that the cross was not the wall of separation, but rather a bridge. A bridge of unity to the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so today we have the chance to be ministered to with the Lord's Supper. This is not just a piece of bread and a cup of Welch's grape juice. This is an opportunity to be reminded of God's grace and the unconditional, sacrificial love that he has for you when he broke broke himself on the cross. And so the Apostle Paul says of how reverent this is that we should be so careful in the way that we approach this, that we should search our hearts and ask the Lord if there's anything that's unclean that he would remove and that this would be an opportunity for repentance. 
that there's nothing too big or too, or too small that the Lord didn't die for, so that this is the thing that the Lord wants you to lay at his feet now and say, Lord, forgive me. So I pray we search our hearts right now. Let's pray. Search your hearts. Father God, I pray that it would be your spirit that searches our hearts, Lord, because you know how selfish we can be, how we can just justify all the sin in our lives. So I pray that it's by your spirit, Lord, that you would show us the things that are keeping us from having a unified, loving relationship with you. Break our hearts for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.